Hello and welcome back to Emma and Tom's PGC podcast. This is episode four. Very well done to you if you've stuck with us this long. We are in Cardiff Met recording this one and we have retreated to the bunker. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing to do with any world wars. In fact, I don't even know why it's called the bunker. I always thought it was your uh, area where you planned world domination, but it is in fact that space in every drama department that's a bit of an Aladdin's cave full of costumes and props and a very scary ventriloquist's dummy. (laughs) Looking over my shoulder. And of course, that essential part of every drama office, loads of comfy chairs. What is that all about? I've never seen a school drama department that is not full of comfy chairs. It's called a green room, darling. It's where we go to wax lyrical about our characters, our motivations. It's very important. Marvellous. In music, we just kind of have desolate practice rooms with a kind of single music stand and nothing else in. I'm liking this. I think I've I've picked the wrong subject. In the drama department in the school I worked, they had a beautiful comfy sofa in the office but if you collapsed gratefully onto it you would immediately crack your head open on an overhanging shelf so it was it was a trap <laughs> for non-drama people okay daring to sit in the comfy sofa of drama anyway <laughs> <laughs> not to be confused with casting couches no oh god no no no, no not a casting couch in sight in the bunker i'm good. pleased to say good good So, uh, today we are going digital. We've retreated to the bunker to go digital and uh, it's a major issue here in Wales for anybody who's not listening to us from within Wales and very uh, on top of what's going on in education over here. Digital competence is the latest cross-curricular responsibility to be added to the Welsh curriculum, which means that all of us as teachers, no matter our subject or what age group we teach, are responsible for developing and consolidating the digital skills of our pupils. It kind of completes the the statutory framework triad that we now have. So we've got a literacy framework, we've got a numeracy framework, and now a digital competence framework. So yeah, it's something we're all having to consider, and it's how we can get digital things into our teaching in such a way that it doesn't squeeze our subject specialisms out. And of course, I suppose the elephant in the room is, as people tend to see it, the people that we're teaching tend to be a whole lot more digitally competent sometimes than the people who are doing the teaching. Actually, it's really interesting, Tom, because... In July of this year, July 2018, Estin brought out a thematic report because we've had the digital competence framework since September 2016. So schools have already been grappling with this and and doing lots of really good stuff that comes through in the report. But one of the sort of unignorable areas that needs to be worked on is teacher confidence and teacher confidence in their skills. And something quite exciting about one of the recommendations is about getting really good pupils who are highly skilled and digitally competent to work with teachers to upskill them. How's that for a a reversal in roles? I think it's really important, isn't it, in all of our teaching areas to remember that the minute we think we need to know everything and, and be able to just have one-way traffic to the pupils is the moment that we've got ourselves into a, a pretty bad place, really, as teachers. Mm. I was really interested. Now, one of the things that Emma and I have been doing as part of our work and cross-curricular things and, and just generally working together is reading one another's subject books, which has just been very interesting to do. I would recommend that to anybody, actually. Don't just stick to the books about your own subject because there's so much out there which at first sight may not seem to be relevant, but there's some really great stuff. 
I was reading the Masterclass in Drama Education book by Michael Anderson. So you can go out and look for that. Chapter two, The Challenge of Generation Next, it's called. And I thought it was a brilliant summary of the issues facing all of us, really, as we try to incorporate these digital things into our teaching. Absolutely, Tom. And what Anderson does really cleverly in this article is he tries to unlock not just the theories behind, you know, why we need to be thinking more digitally and and bringing that into our classrooms, but he gives some really good practical tips. They're quite drama specific, but actually if we if we talk more generally about them, they're they're totally applicable to other subjects. So I guess Tom, we are Generation X. Well, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I, I'm not really sure what we are. I suppose we're either the very, very end of Generation X or we're the oldest millennials <laughs> going. Because, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I was, I'm not giving away much by saying I am a child of the 70s by a single month. I was born in <laughs> December 1979. If we are millennials, we're only millennials by our absolute fingernails. And if yeah. If we're Generation X, then we're, you know, the very, very young end of Generation X. We kind of sit on that divide and it's interesting to kind of think that there are all these different generations knocking together in schools. You've got Generation X teachers, you've got millennial teachers, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of teachers younger than us now. And then you've got the pupils who are from a whole other generation. I mean, I suppose that the millennials m- mostly dealt with digital things, but things have appeared while they've been growing up. Um, yes. We, I guess you as well, you're a little bit, little bit younger than me, we can both remember pre-internet days I guess and pre-mobile days. can, I certainly can. I remember getting my first PC. I remember dial-up. I remember being shouted at to get off the wireless (laughs) and uh, you know to give the phone back to my mum and dad so you know spending too many hours on MSN Messenger and you know so all of those things I guess are on our radar and you're absolutely right if you can remember if you can remember tapes before CDs and if you can remember VHS before DVDs and Blu-ray then you're on that you're on that cusp and I suppose bringing it back to Anderson then we kind of sit on the cusp between what he would call being a digital immigrant and being a digital native. Yeah so digital immigrant being somebody who had their formative years before all of this turned up in their lives and have had to adapt to it Uh, and digital natives being people who were just born to it and don't really know any different of course you hear all these funny stories about babies trying to swipe the pages of books because they think they're ipads and all that kind of thing (laughs) it all sounds terribly sinister doesn't it but i suppose it's just it's just kind of what they know so yeah we sit in that divide and so we read all of these things with some interest i think there is amongst perhaps some of the older teachers a sense that they're in real trouble here that they're never going to get on top of this that they're always playing catch up with the pupils but what I really liked about the chapter that Anderson has written and a lot of the other literature as well is they're saying that just because you've been born with this stuff around you doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to use it brilliantly or that you're not going to hit all the traps that, that it has for you and that those of us who are perhaps a bit older and a bit wiser or perhaps have had to adapt to these things have something to bring to the party. 
Absolutely. And, and I think the, the point that he makes at the end of the chapter, which, which really resonated with me, was that they might be learning how to use some of this technology that they are absolutely entrenched in and that is kind of second nature to them, to, to the generation next us, as it were. And they're learning those things by osmosis. What they can't learn by osmosis are the kind of fundamental knowledge, skills, competencies within our own subjects that would help them to use the technology as a form or a format, but use the subject in a in a sophisticated way. A good example that he gives is, you know, YouTubers at home, kids who are able to create and edit and upload a YouTube video in the space of an afternoon, maybe in the space of an hour. But the quality, the aesthetic, what he calls the the aesthetic quality of that video and the content of that video is what the subject teacher is still is is still there for and is still important to Yeah, and I like the kind of optimistic tone that he sets in that chapter because you do mm. hear so much negative about technology and even at the moment in the news it's all about banning phones from schools and banning, you know, any kind of digital technology. Anderson makes a very good point that actually we should be celebrating the fact that the pupils have got in the palm of their hands the ability to create and distribute content, creative content that they've made absolutely effortlessly. And we were talking about this before we recorded this podcast. We're sitting in a room here with a pile of equipment that didn't cost a whole lot of money and we're creating something that would have cost thousands upon thousands of pounds to have created yes. before and for no money at all we're able to send it out across the world for all of our long-suffering listeners to listen to and yet the instinct strangely is to think this is a bad thing yeah you're right Tom. now this is something that struck me too i, I think this is the great irony actually and i do think that perhaps because i mean this is 2012 that this book was published so perhaps big steps have been made even since anderson wrote this chapter but he talks about marginalising and ignoring and even kind of sanctioning the use of mobile phones. Probably the most powerful computer in the room is being marginalised in favour of things like interactive whiteboards. So yeah, this, this real kind of sense of, wow, kids, now we're going to give you an iPad when they've got an iPhone in their pocket. Yeah, and Anderson makes the point that half the problem might be that we, as a slightly older generation, see this stuff as novel um, and therefore maybe slightly scary. Uh, And then we either want to ban it or we want to use it too much. And that the pupils don't see it as a novelty. They just see it as like all the other boring utilities around them. And, And I certainly know that pupils would, back in my school, occasionally be saying, oh, we're doing PowerPoints all the time or we're doing whatever all the time. They actually don't want to be doing this stuff all the time. They don't see it as a big, shiny, exciting thing. So, yeah, it's it's a certain amount of fear, perhaps, and, and worry about these things. And as teachers, we need, as you said, to give the pupils the critical thinking skills, the discrimination skills and the self-regulation skills, the same ones that we use in all their learning, really, to apply to this in the same way as they apply to everything else. And I guess to the credit of the co-creators of the Digital Competence Framework, it is baked into the framework itself within the strands, the tools and the criteria that teachers need to give them pointers about how to help control their pupils' usage of digital technology. So, for example, the first strand is citizenship. 
and that encompasses all all manner of additional elements such as e-safety, social media and opening a forum for debate which kind of comes back to that Guardian article today so that young people can be more discerning when engaging with those platforms. So I don't think it's any surprise, just going back to this Eston thematic report, that teachers reported that they were more confident in the first three strands, that citizenship, interacting, collaborating and producing, than the fourth, which is data and computational thinking. So there is still quite a bit of work to be done so that teachers feel a lot more confident and comfortable with this framework. But I guess what Anderson is saying in this lovely chapter is that actually the kids bring a lot to the table. You don't necessarily need to know every app that's out there or, or have fantastic digital skills yourself. But it's about controlling that usage and thinking about how you can contextualise it within whatever it is that you're trying to deliver. And then towards the end of that chapter, he sets out some conclusions which are quite a nice summary of the ways that perhaps our thinking needs to change a little bit. And while there are changes that he suggests, I think they're probably in the direction of travel we should be going anyway. And and he also says that we're not throwing away all the kind of cherished things that have always been at the centre of what we do. He feels that the technology, although you kind of have this stereotypical image of the child or actually the adult probably in a lot of cases immersed in their smartphone completely oblivious to the world around them that actually the technology is making learning more of a social experience and therefore the kind of space both literal and I suppose metaphorical as well the space in which learning takes place is going to change and it's going to grow Yes, I totally agree with this. And and how revolutionary that actually, you know, we talk about silent children or, or invisible children in our classes, when actually technology could open the door to better collaboration and broader collaboration within our classes, you know, where they are inhabiting both a digital environment and the physical environment of the classroom. You know, we could get a greater sense of collaboration between our pupils if we blend the learning approaches and welcome technology into our classrooms. Yeah, I mean, certainly I remember talking in depth and and seeing the potential for discussion to take place over a much longer timescale if you do it through some sort of digital virtual means. We all know about that classroom where you've got those dominant personalities. I mean, it happens at work as well, doesn't it? You know, you get these dominant personalities out in the world and then you get these people that don't want to contribute to a discussion until they've had a really good chance to think about it and craft what they're going to say. And the ability to do your discussion and your learning conversations in a different way might advantage some people who've previously not had a voice and the quality I suppose of what's going on will hopefully go up as a result of that. Absolutely and I think something else that's quite profound that uh, Anderson says at the start of the article is that if we adopt this approach it might be more aligned to how pupils learn now, how Generation Next learn You know, he talks about pupils in Generation Next not learning in a linear way anymore because they jump around 
through technology. You know, they're, they're looking at videos, they're looking at text, they're looking at them simultaneously, side by side, and jumping from one leap pad to the other quite quickly. So that's real food for thought about how pupils learn in our lessons and how perhaps incorporating technology could allow pupils to make those sort of sporadic, oscillating, divergent connections in our lessons rather than sort of a a very linear approach to the topic. It feeds into a theme I think that's come up a lot in our discussions recently about this fear of giving away control that we all have, I suppose, as inexperienced teachers. We want to control what goes on in our rooms. But the more we control it, the less we give the pupils leeway to do things the best way for them. And of course, that that you just described there is a real kind of giving away of power. We want to say, I suppose, instinctively, particularly when we're early in our careers, we want to say, do this, then do this, then do this, then do this. But they don't work like that anymore. The world doesn't work like that anymore. And that change in mindset, I think, needs, if anything, to come even sooner than it needed to before. Mm, Absolutely. And I guess the other thing that links in nicely with what you've identified there, Tom, is is assessment and whether or not assessment is fit for purpose in light of this kind of new way of learning and thinking that pupils are adopting this kind of multimodal approach and Anderson talks really nicely about multimodal texts and it got me thinking about the traditional essay and whether or not that's fit for purpose for Generation Next. It's still, it still has its place, particularly in the world of academia. It makes me think about our ITE students. You know, they do three assignments, all of which are essays. And, you know, we've had multiple conversations about whether or not we should be dabbling in some more multimodal digital forms of assessment, things like web pages, things like vlogs, blogs. Podcasts. Podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like the way he's, he says in the chapter, you know, that we need to stop perceiving what he calls linear print-based texts as a benchmark. Because if we do, yes, we, we shut the door to other possibilities, but we also end up looking down on them if we're not careful. Just because they aren't presented in that way doesn't mean that they're not meaningful profound, deep uh, and rigorous. Absolutely. And I, I know that some some exam boards are definitely on board with this. You know, I can only speak from a drama perspective, but WJC GCSE has a portfolio and gives multiple examples of the different forms of evidence that can make up that portfolio, many of which are, are digital and link with digital competence. So I think the tides are turning But I think we just need to be braver, maybe, and allow more optionality and and for students and pupils to choose the form. Yeah, and I think probably the quote that wraps it all up for me, which I found, was just this guy, Michael Apple, talking about how we need as teachers uh, to be the ones that help the pupils navigate their way through the technology. And he says very simply, the new technology is here. It will not go away. And I thought, yeah, absolutely totally agree with that and then I saw the date 1991 (laughs) I know I had the same revelation I think um, something that to end on that kind of resonated with me and that fits in with what you said as well is that actually and what the critic says is that it's redundant it being the technology or the equipment that you've got is redundant if you don't tailor it 
Um, so if it just sits dusty in your classroom because you've been given a, a truckload of them from whoever, be it iPads, be it interactive whiteboards, be it whatever. Yeah, we've all been there. We've all been there. It's redundant if it's not tailored. So think about your subject, think about the technology and think creatively about how you can marry the two. Wonderful. Great challenges ahead for us there. And this is a bit of a digital themed podcast today. So we're going to move on to our well-being slot. And Emma, I know you've been thinking a lot recently about how that much maligned thing at the moment, I would say social media can potentially be a tool for well-being. Yes, absolutely. Now, something that I encourage my student teachers to do right at the start of the programme, and I'm sure I'm not alone in this, is to set up a WhatsApp group or a Facebook group or something that I am not part of. Oh yes, that's got to be an important condition, hasn't it? It is an important condition because it it fits in nicely actually with our previous episode where Sally was talking about belonging to a community and affiliating yourself with your peers it's really important to be able to offload to one another and actually social media when you're out on placement can be a really great forum for that it got me thinking just about healthy and well-meaning use of those platforms particularly those private chat rooms that uh, we can inhabit that can be really really great but can also be a little bit detrimental if we don't think carefully about how we're using them. So, for example, it can be great at the end of the day to say, oh, I've had a really bad lesson or, you know, this has been really challenging. If that then turns into a really big diatribe or a really big echo chamber of negativity, then I would question how is that impacting on your well-being as an individual how aware are you of that kind of group think that collective identity that you're creating in that social forum Mm, I suppose it's the same isn't it as when you're together in real life I think you need a little bit of self-awareness as to what effect you're having on the group dynamic and it can work both ways can't it you can be the one who's always whinging all the time or you can be the one who's always telling everyone how great everything is all the time. And both can Good be point. equally annoying and equally negative, actually. Yeah, I mean, it, to give a, a specific example, it usually comes down to when it can be quite um, controversial and divisive is when it comes down to assignments. So you might have one student using the forum and saying, you know, I'm I'm nearly finished or I have finished. Oh, yeah. And, and another silently... Uh, yes. <laughs> maybe disengaging with the chat. Yeah. Uh, you know, that common so and so has left the group. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> because perhaps they haven't even started. So I guess my main message here when it comes to using social media and when it comes to your well being is to think quite critically about how you're using it, being empathic about how others are using it and thinking carefully about what you're putting out there and the effect it might have on others. Yeah, because I suppose it is a kind of coping strategy for some people. Some people's coping strategy is to say everything's great because it kind of, I guess, comes as a self-fulfilling prophecy. And that's fine, you know, that that's your way of coping. But I suppose you need to be aware that somebody else may be looking and thinking, oh, well, it's not great. And if you're saying it's great, then that must just be because I'm rubbish. But maybe you then need to be aware as the person weeping gently into your phone 
that that's just the other person's coping strategy i suppose it's just being aware of how we all do these things differently absolutely and being mindful that the digital self can be quite different to the to the real world self and as a peer and as a colleague think what is that person putting out there you know why are they putting why it out are there? they putting it out there yeah so use it definitely use it definitely exclude us from your social media chats definitely make sure it's a very private group absolutely <laughs> yeah excellent suggestion for you there because you know i don't mind if you want to have a vent about me and my classes uh, in your little group that's absolutely fine but it'd be really excellent if it wasn't all over a google search for my name by the end of the week <laughs> Okay, so moving on, we've got a shout out this week from Tom to his lovely PGC music cohort. And in the vein of digital competence, they did something quite interesting using video as their farewell and as their reflection on their year. Yeah, so although we are well into the new academic year now, we're recording this through the magic of technology before the course starts. So we're still shouting out to people who've been and disappeared and gone off to become teachers. My PGC cohort from last year got to the end of the year and as is my habit, I shamelessly stole something from Emma. I pretty much do that all the time. Which, <laughs> which was to ask them to summarise something memorable or something good that had happened to them during the course of the previous year. And in previous shout outs, we've heard some of the marvellously creative things that the drama cohort have produced. And I don't have anything of that kind of, uh, well, what's the word of that <laughs> level of interestingness? I'm going to put extravagance. It, extravagance and, and just, just dramaness, really, to offer. But instead, I offered my music cohort the opportunity to do theirs digitally. So I sent them forth from my classroom with instructions to create a short video each in which they explained something memorable or something good that had happened during the previous year. And then they brought them back. I let them go off for a coffee break while I frantically edited it all together into a video and stuck some cheesy music underneath it. So here are some members of the cohort talking about that. I should warn you that the first two voices you hear sound slightly strange. And the reason for that is that very creatively and without me asking them to, they decided to add crazy Snapchat filters to their videos, which gave them, you know, dog heads and things flying around them and stuff like that. But the first two also distorted their voices in slightly scary ways. But hopefully you'll be able to understand what they're saying and enjoy this very positive view of a year in the life of the PGCE. I've learned that as a teacher, you can't be a perfectionist because if you want to do perfect lessons all the time, you will crash and burn and die. So it's okay to just be, have good lessons, have lessons that aren't perfect. Oh, wonderful. I know. Ready. What is your most memorable moment? Well, I think it must be... <laughs> 
doing the extracurricular activities at the school. For example, doing Sweeney Todd, playing the clarinet in that, and also all the stuff for the Estelle Ward, but also on the course, <laughs> making friends. Oh, lovely. I've learned that I've got a lot more patience than I thought I did. Uh, I think the biggest thing I've learned is that it's okay not to know everything. It's okay not to know everything before you start. When I first got here, I wanted to know how to do every single thing, how to get through the entire year. Um, but this course has really taught me to just take things one step at a time, and I only really need to know what's coming up next. I don't need to know what the end looks like all, all the time. It's also helped my teaching, because the kids don't need to know everything before I set them off on a task. I can give them the instructions little chunks, and that's often more helpful. So it's fine not to know. It's fine to ask for help. So in placement one, um, I worked with a trio from year 11. Now these girls have never sung before in public um, and I've worked with them and uh, we put together a piece for them to perform in the Christmas concert. And I was so proud of them and they were so proud of themselves. And that was really rewarding and it was a lovely experience. I've learned a lot about myself during this teaching course. Most importantly, I've learned how to be a more resilient person. It's been quite a difficult year and there's been a lot of challenges to overcome, but it's taught me to be self-reflective and to improve everything that I'm doing as a teacher. It's quite, it's been quite difficult organisationally, so I've learned a lot about managing my time and being thorough with everything that I do. One of my most favourite moments of the course, I think, was the drama cross-curricular day. Uh, it was great fun working with some different people, getting new ideas. Uh, particularly like the task where we had to uh, do the song about school bullying campaign where I had to sing, which is not what I'm a fan of. Sweden and Hoffy, uh, that was really fun. I also enjoyed coming up with an idea of incorporating drama and music and it's something I tried to put into my teaching. My most memorable moment was introducing the schoolmen now to Garage Band and the kids, the pupils all really enjoyed it and some of them even starting to take it up outside of school, which was cool. My most memorable moment was uh, creating a piece of music for the students and they liked it so much that they wanted to take it home and uh, play it for their family. So that was them, my lovely music class from last year. I wish them all the best in what they're doing this year. They're all working in various places around the country and I'm sure they're doing absolutely brilliantly. The final section of our podcast then is the something to try, something you can take away and have a go at in your own classroom. And Emma, you've got something that's come from the world of maths. It has come from the world of maths and it's it's a little bit of a shout out as well. I must admit, um, I'm still... I'm straying from the brief here a little bit, but it, just stay with me. Creative. You're very creative. Uh, well, yes. I mean, so was Charlotte Phillips. This is who this takeaway was inspired by. I had the privilege of observing Charlotte's lesson. She was last year on the PGC Maths programme. And she was teaching a lesson, lesson to a group of year sevens in Aiglon, Switzerland, nonetheless. And she'd started out this lesson with a rather creative hook. So my something to take away this week is about thinking about a creative hook for your lessons. Now, what Charlotte had done as the pupils were filing into the lesson, prior to this, she had filled various different receptacles of varying shape and size with liquid. Out 
the back of her classroom, she had a fish tank with Nemo, not the actual Nemo, but a plastic Nemo in some water already. And the big question that she posed to pupils at the start of the lesson was, if I fill my fish tank with all of this extra water, is Nemo going to be saved or is he going to be lost? So there was that kind of big, creative, exciting hook at the start of the lesson that was a gateway for Charlotte to teach her pupils, start to teach her pupils about integers, which was something very, very new to me as well. So we're looking at rounding up and rounding down. And everything kind of came back to that creative hook and pulled together some of the slightly more sort of tangent threads of the lesson. So it was inspiring, it was engaging. And I guess what I'm encouraging you to do before you start perhaps looking at something quite abstract in relation to your subject, think about something quite creative, maybe a real world creative problem that could be the hook for your pupils to get them engaged and to also make some of those more abstract items on the agenda for your lesson seem a lot more relevant. That's a really great idea. And I think one of the bits of advice we always give to people is to get down to something interesting as fast as you possibly can when the pupils come in. And it's not always easy to do, but something like that will really just start the lesson off with the right kind of atmosphere in the room. So something like that is is just such a great idea, isn't it, to get them in and get them interested. I agree. So well done, Charlotte, and uh, well done, her pupils. Yeah, and well done, Nemo. Did he fall out or not? Uh, I don't think he did. Oh, Nemo was saved. My little girl will be very pleased about that. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> she loves Nemo. OK, and that is the end of another episode, uh, a very digital episode, and I hope you've got something useful to come out of that. Uh, if you're one of our student teachers, you're just about to start your full teaching timetable, I do believe. So uh, the very best of luck to you if you're out there preparing for your 10 hours a week. We wish you all the very best. We certainly do. And to the rest of you, we wish you the best as well. We'll be back in a fortnight. Uh, in the meantime, whatever it is you're doing to do with education, I hope it goes really well for you. Bye-bye for now. Bye-bye. That was Emma and Tom's PGC podcast presented by Emma Thayer and Tom Breeze. The book we referred to earlier was Masterclass in Drama Education by Michael Anderson, published in 2012. Well worth a read no matter what you teach. Thanks to Charlotte Phillips, the PGC Music Class of 2018 and Nemo for their contributions to today's episode. If you're a digital immigrant, wave your digital citizenship papers around with pride and get creating. If you're a digital native, put the phone down and get some fresh air. We're off to charge up our smartphones for the third time today. So until next time, take care and enjoy teaching.